This is the Walleye's Eye to Eye. Hello, I'm Matt Prokopchuk, and welcome back to Eye to Eye, our monthly feature here at the Walleye, where we go one-on-one and behind the headlines with newsmakers in the local Thunder Bay scene to get to know them a little bit better. For this episode, and produced for our February issue, Hometown Hockey, I spoke with Moffat Makuto. Makuto is the Executive Director and Youth Advisor at the Regional Multicultural Youth Council here in Thunder Bay. He's held that position since the organization's creation in 1985, having an immensely positive impact on the lives of many children and youth across northwestern Ontario. In addition to that, Makuto has also been at the forefront of many local multiculturalism and anti-racism efforts. He spoke with the Walleye about his life's work, his recent trip to Africa, those he looks up to, and more. So now we go eye to eye with Moffat Makuto. Hi Moffat, how are you? Fantastic, thank you. Now, obviously, COVID-19, the pandemic, the ongoing pandemic, has necessitated a lot of adaptation for many organizations, to say nothing of of people. How has the RMYC and the Youth Centre, how have you been able to to navigate the past three years, ultimately? It it really helped us also to understand, like, when many people mentioned that uh, COVID kind of really exposed some of the discrepancies. Yeah. That became very real for us because in the schools, we have what we call a peer mentoring program where we really believe that teachers are doing their best and guiding counselors. But sometimes in the classroom or in the hallways, Young people can see the one who is lonely, the one who is shy, the one who they didn't see to school last week and wonder what happened. Then they realize their friend committed suicide and stuff like that. So, or the one who has been introduced to drugs or gangs or something. So young people tend to see that. Uh, among themselves first before probably it's brought to the teacher's attention or to the guidance counselors. So it the pandemic helps us to realize that there were some kids who were definitely in not safe spaces. Uh, the parents probably were, families were dysfunctional or very impoverished, that kids had relied on the breakfast club or lunch and for us, us, for example, we run the after-school program at Dennis Cromarty High School, and which is almost an offshoot of that inquest, why so many indigenous kids were dying in the city yeah. when they're supposed to be coming to, in a safe space to go to school and advance, but were being found in rivers. So out of that whole context, we started realizing that once schools were closed or things were online, some of the homes were not the best places for the young people to be. And I can give you an example that in Thunder Bay, we are hearing a lot about home invasions and all these people who come from down south and take over places. Sometimes you just feel, well, it's those guys who are doing the drugs. But many times there are kids in those homes. What happens to them? Uh, how can that environment help them to even concentrate on their schoolwork and homework and uh, pass? So in a nutshell, I'm just sort of saying the COVID thing and the challenges of being 
isolated at home, expose the whole issues of poverty, of a home climate that's not very healthy for some young people. Yes, others who had parents who could tutor them or mentor them really seem to excel and do very well under that environment. But others in very crowded homes or impoverished homes where parents had relied on the school to feed the kids now had to deal with that reality. And we were very lucky that there were some families that kind of understood those challenges and were giving us some funds to sort of say, can you identify some of those students you work with or young people to see if probably a food hamper would work? And again, it's one of those things where you can ask kids to go to the food bank, but then you have to worry, how will they carry a whole bag of uh, pasta (laughs) on a bus or something? So you start realizing that the home deliveries for things like that are very important. Personal height hygiene products. Many people take them for granted. But mm-hmm. some young girls were saying, we can't get tampons. We can't afford to do that. Even toothpaste or toothbrush. It's those realities that show us that there are some people who seem to be well off because the families can afford to do that. But then there are the others who are going on a spiral downhill. Then sometimes that's where you see that the unscrupulous people step up now to take advantage. They realize these kids are vulnerable. They can do little errands for them to sell traffic or deliver drugs for a little fee so that they can have something to eat. And now we have this gap of the vulnerable youth at risk being now caught in a more negative cycle while the others are kind of excelling because their parents can afford to give them the nicer support and resources and the computers and the laptops and the tutoring they need so that they excel. So COVID really exposed us to these gaps that are existing in society, but with no classrooms or classes being held. It really meant a lot of kids got far further behind in schoolwork. And I know quite a lot um, who dropped out altogether. And this is why the RMYC, the last two summers during the COVID pandemic, we were actually running summer school to help some of those kids catch up because we understood the challenges they were facing. So COVID really exposed us again to the gaps between some families that are well-to-do and those that are struggling. And and you've made this your life's work, really, um, you know, in terms of supporting youth, um, working towards what multiculturalism ultimately should be. Like I say, you've kind of made this your life's work. How how did you get involved, you know, with this in the first place? <laughs> it is very interesting because I was born in Africa, in uh, Rhodesia, then Zimbabwe. So we had the same thing, almost like the Mandela thing, apartheid, where there was segregation in society, the blacks and whites and so forth. And it was only after independence in 1980 that really the whites and the blacks were encouraged to learn to get along and work together and so forth. So coming together to Canada then in that time when Canada was talking multiculturalism, it was very appealing to me that, wow, people are actually talking about 
different races learning to get along rather than the separation I experienced when I was growing up. So I was really caught up in the whole idea of Trudeau, P.L.E. P.L.E. then promoting multiculturalism as a vision for Canada, then Brian Maroney actually adopting a multiculturalism act. Right. That this is how we are going to be. But then I was kind of surprised that when we formed the Multicultural Association and I was hired to do to promote it, that a lot of indigenous people were not very convinced that this was the way to go. And I remember them saying they really didn't want to do much about multiculturalism because of their experiences with residential schools, how they were sucked in. And it was only like the, the grand chief then, Dennis Cromati, who's named after the high school in Thunder Bay, yeah. who said, I really kind of uh, like your passion because of your background. But here in Canada, we have a story of being given, uh, taken a, a little road path, but being exploited. Because there's quite a difference between you guys who are immigrants and us. And he gave me a very good example, which I've always remembered, that if I lose myself, my language here, because I'm in Canada, or anyone else who has settled here, they have come from somewhere. Their culture is still intact, whether it's in England, in Poland, in Africa, in China. They can always go back to learn their language and their culture and so forth. Right. But if indigenous youth are sold into this whole multicultural and they forget their language and culture, it becomes extinct. Right. And there's nothing to revive it. And then that's really what the same intention residential schools had of doing away with the Indianness. Mm -hmm. We don't want multiculturalism to do the same thing to us and make our culture disappear. And the First Nations really realized that, that we were a group that was not there to assimilate them, but to share the culture. We actually wanted more Native youth to be leaders who tell us as visitors into their own land, Turtle Island, yeah. what it was. And I know that we are the first multicultural group to ever get a unanimous resolution by chiefs that they trust that we are going to help their young people succeed. And I also believe we are the first multicultural group to be invited into a First Nations high school like Dennis Cromarty mm -hmm. to run programs in there so that Native youth realize they are not the only ones facing racism or discrimination. They have others who are working with them to make a difference. So that is one of the things that really got me so involved. So my own background of growing up in a racist society, coming to celebrate multiculturalism, but then identifying with um, uh, the indigenous youth really helped. And I think one of the first experiences I had is when I first came to Canada, I was at West University of Western Ontario. My sister and brother-in-law, who were students, sponsored me to come. But then I ended up in Thunder Bay because when they graduated, they got jobs at Lakehead University, both of them, and decided to move. So they gave me the option of either 
staying at Western or joining them. Western had over 20,000 students, and I was totally lost coming from a small village in Africa. <laughs> Lake had, had only three, 4,000 students then, seemed to be much more manageable, so I opted to come here. And now this is one of the things where I feel I can understand the culture shock indigenous youth have. Because coming to Thunder Bay to go to the CLE is very different when you have to stay here for nine months to go to school without your family. It was the same experience I had myself transitioning from Africa to Western that I can empathize with a lot of students. And so when we started programs like the orientation program, that really sold out. Then we also had programs like Girl Power, where girls were talking like before the Me Too movement. We were already working with young girls on just building their self-esteem, self-confidence, body image. There are so many social issues young girls face based on media and magazines and so forth. And many struggle with those things. But just having a peer support group that we are okay. Yes, that's what the media wants to do to sell their products. But we are okay. Really helps. And I was surprised after a while, boys said, why should we just have girl power? We need band of brothers because sometimes you hear about violence in the home perpetrated by husbands or whatever. Guys also need to know these things. So you'll find that young people if given that safe space, will come up really with ideas that will try to make their world better, which is really our world. Before Christmas, we we touched base very briefly uh, before the Christmas holidays, and you mentioned that you were back in Africa for vacation. Uh, tell me, tell me, or tell us about your trip. Oh, it was really nice. Of course, the weather there when it's winter <laughs> here. It's- I'm over great, there. Great and to get away. My shock is when I came back just before Christmas, I barely made it through the airport because they had closed the oh, flights right. and the roads and so forth. But it was just nice to touch base. But again, you start seeing how systems fail because current governments, even in Africa, yeah, I have been read from the same um, textbooks of the former governments where the privileged ones seem to get richer and the poor people. So you can really see the gap that those who are in government or aligned with the government are doing very, very well. Yet there are those people who are still in the villages who are still living in their mud huts 40 years after independence. And again, it opens your eyes to the need of really empowering people that they cannot always wait, like sometimes for the government to make changes. Yes, government needs to create the environment and the support, but it has to be the ideas that the young people have or the ordinary citizens have that will make their community what they want it to be. Um, I can give examples of even right now, like when I first came to Thunder Bay, Uh, I was surprised that people bought almost everything from the supermarket. In Africa, you still have a lot of subsistence in the villages, and I I could see that when I was on holidays, people still grow their little vegetables to survive. You only go to the supermarket to get what you can't get. 
So coming here right now, you start seeing community gardens are starting to grow. And even at Dennis Cromarty High School, we build some greenhouses there just to introduce indigenous youth that, yes, even the climate might be very cold where you are, but you can have a small greenhouse where you can grow a little lettuce to have fresh uh, vegetables, which are, can be very expensive if they have to be flown up to your reserve. So we do gardening projects in neighborhoods like Olimbrick and Windsor, and like I said, Dennis Cromarty. Yeah. When you went uh, on vacation, was it to was it, was it to visit family? Uh, do, do you still have family over there? Yeah, it was for visit? family. I had not gone. I tried to go there um, as often as I can once a year or so, uh, because everyone is aging. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, yeah, I'm about 73 years old now myself. So you still want to see relatives and so forth and touch base. And because of COVID, I had not gone back for the past few days. So I was very keen to <laughs> uh, just see what things are like and so forth. And that is the reason I've gone and get some ideas, like uh, even the whole idea of girl power, supporting it here. Uh, after I graduated, I went to work in Africa, independent Zimbabwe, for about five years in the family planning program. And their families used to be really big in Africa because uh, that was the investment parents have to say that their children will take care of them when they grow older. But with modern clinics, most of those kids were surviving. So you didn't need 12 kids thinking half of them will die from polio. They were all right. going to survive and you needed to take good care of them, send them to school and so forth. So that is the program I was kind of promoting. So coming here, then knowing a lot about young people being taken from homes into care and growing made me realize, well, we really have to talk to young girls because really giving them the knowledge and the tools. So some of these things are inter related and you can always learn something even from a developing country which you can adapt to suit your environment so i've been so grateful that some of the initiatives i have learned each time i've gone for the visits home and come here really helped me to understand or to do more with the young people from diverse backgrounds we work with in thunder bay yeah i know you're so you're so closely identified and, and intertwined with your work, but if there is such a thing, um, when you it, it, when you have some free time, what do you enjoy doing uh, just outside of your? <laughs> oh, it is a passion, but I guess yeah. most of the people might know that we also run the Mandarin restaurant. Yes. It was my, I met my wife at Lakehead University. She's from Hong Kong. But we got married in Africa. In fact, my father did this ceremony because he's a church minister. I grew up at a church, church school. So um, when I'm not at the center, we are helping a little bit with the restaurant. My hobbies really have been just to hang around with young people and do fun stuff with them, play games, supervise them, and so forth. And one of the real benefits has been my own two daughters we have two daughters and i know when we talk about racism how they were struggling 
in the school system. They are not really black because, like I said, my wife is from Hong Kong. But still, they faced a lot of racism of people saying, go back where you came from. And they say, well, I was born in Thunder Bay where yeah. you want me to go, kind of stuff. And of course, in schools, kids not wanting to sit with them in the lunch, in the cafeteria for lunch. Those things really had an impact on them. And it was really surprising that they really felt comfortable coming with Daddy to the RMYC and actually did have a lot of work helping to design the website, producing little books about um, ABCs of multiculturalism, of family violence, of mental health, doing stuff like that, that I know my wife used to be almost jealous because she really wanted them to work with her in the restaurant and get a little money. But they were opting to come to, to daddy and volunteer <laughs> at the youth center because of just the climate created. Because that's one thing you realize that mm-hmm. when kids join gangs and so forth, sometimes it's that sense of wanting to belong to feel good about yourself that gangs falsely present to young people. But if we can create these safe spaces, whether it's a little club in a school or in a community hall or something, or like what the Boys and Girls Club try to do, or the underground gym, um, they try to create a team spirit for kids to have that safe space. It can really make a difference in our future if we invest in that. So to me, that's become almost a hobby as a passion because I was never caught up into winter sports like skiing or anything. (laughs) I kind of resent the cold, cold winter (laughs) and so forth. So my hobbies have been, like I said, doing anything indoors with the youth, watching movies and discussing about them and so forth. It has been personal growth, really, which is really what I do. Then, of course, like I say, helping my wife at the restaurant is also and meeting all the people, customers there. It's it's been fun. (laughs) Yeah. What is the Mandarin restaurant specialty? What's the the big thing on the menu? We have a... Yeah, like the chicken balls are very popular, and chicken fried rice, that's really very popular. And some of the Sichuan noodles are very popular. (laughs) (laughs) Those are the things I know I sell very well. In fact, it was so funny that when we first got it, because it was really out of a lack of funding. Because, you know, before the casino opened, we used to have bingos in Thunder Bay and Monte Carlo casinos. And the youth yes. council used to have these young people who would volunteer in hordes and we were the top group that raised money because that time you need to have runners to run bingos. So we had the runners. So we would make almost a hundred thousand dollars a year from bingos every week and Monte Carlo casinos every week. But when the casino opened bingo holes dried up completely and all our funding was lost. They took the money, what we call the windfall, the government that the province gives uh, to the city as a host city and it put it into a general revenue instead of the groups that were impacted when bingo holes closed. So you find a lot of groups that we used to have 
almost folded. And the RMYC had to move from where we were in Victoria Mall to outside because we couldn't afford the rent. And that's where we came up with the idea of the restaurant because we used to run a hot dog stand <laughs> to fundraise. And people supported it because they just wanted to give something to young people trying to make a difference. Yeah. So I couldn't run a hot dog stand in wintertime. No. <laughs> so we knew this guy who, who, who was very generous. He used to feed our volunteers after bingos. And he was kind of retiring to Florida. And we offered to take the restaurant so that at least we could get an income to pay and raise my family. And then support the youth, the youth center then. So that's really how the Mandarin came. It's really been used to raise funds to support the youth center. And that's what we do. And right now, uh, during the pandemic, there were people who were kind of making donations that the kids would come <clears throat> to participate in the study groups. If they lasted a little longer, we'd feed them. And it really was a magnet because, again, that's when you see food security is an issue. And even right now, we still do it. Our meetings are at the Mandarin on Saturdays at 2, and the restaurant opens only for takeout and delivery at 4. If kids last that long, they can have a free meal. And it's, it really brings a lot of kids out, and they socialize while they're eating, and they talk a lot among themselves. So it has been almost a godsend, which I had never anticipated would be. <laughs> when we yeah. opened it, that it could be also a meeting place for young people. And I find a lot of the adults tend to appreciate. Initially, they thought they were the kids in the way. But when you see that they're all trying to make things better, they're also concerned about crime. They're also concerned about racism. They're also concerned about addictions and drugs and needles and everything. And really, they are the future. Why not really support them? and understand them better. So we have really developed this uh, relationship, and you wonder if we could have more examples like that dotted all over the city. It would really start making a difference to the future. Yeah. You mentioned, obviously, preferring indoor activities, and especially at this time of year, yes. I definitely don't blame you. Um, one of that, you mentioned uh, watching movies with, with young people and discussing them. Is there a particular movie that, that you enjoy watching with with them or or having discussions about or is it kind of just you know whatever sort of popular at the time yeah sometimes you go to the old ones like guess who's coming to dinner oh <laughs> the nice yeah about racism yeah then, then sometimes you watch the more recent ones about invictus like nelson mandela right and uh, how he used to really change, to bring people together, just alternatives like that. And then sometimes the young people themselves bring in some of the movies they they feel, especially indigenous ones. So we, we just ask kids to bring in something that after that you can discuss. And it's, it's learning, and sometimes it's just for fun to relax and so forth. It's really just brings that whole idea that there's a lesson to be learned in a lot of things we do. And then for you personally, Moffat, do you have a personal hero or, or somebody that you, you really look up to? 
Yes, people like definitely like Martin Luther King and Nelson Mandela. Um, to me, they've really been pioneers in a lot of things and even when I was growing up I in Africa we knew about Pele the football player right <laughs> because yeah. everyone and and it's so surprising he that, just passed that away was too before we even had yeah he passed away just before after Christmas yeah uh, that uh, we didn't have television then but we had known about this great football player and we were running in the field wanting to be Pele, who I'd never seen, but they just said right. about him. It, it's really like when people say how he transcended football. Almost every young kid growing up in Africa had heard about Pele and football and so forth because that's a very cheap sport. You just need a ball and 10 kids can play, 20 kids can play, stuff like that. So... Those were people I kind of really grew up kind of being heroes, especially like Martin Luther King, given the context that we are also dealing with issues of racism and discrimination and homophobia, Islamophobia in Canada. You kind of reach out to those people to see how did they manage to to end up where they are in the same context. And it has really helped me a lot, like working in this field of bring, learning to bring people together and finding common denominators that will really make a Canada or even Thunder Bay a much more inclusive and prosperous community. That's beautifully said, Moffat, and uh, obviously it, I'm very confident in saying that a lot of people look up to you, so uh, that's really neat to hear where... Oh, thank you for <laughs> that. That's really neat to hear, you know, where, where some of your influences come from, so that that's really cool. <laughs> yeah, it's nice that people like you are surprised. How did you find out about me? <laughs> You're pretty well known. You're pretty well known, sir. <laughs> oh, no, no, because you just do these things, like I say, because you just enjoy the young people yeah. you are meeting with and working with and so forth. And that is The Walleye's Eye to Eye for February 2023 with Moffat Makudo, the Executive Director and Youth Advisor at the Regional Multicultural Youth Council. You can keep up with the latest with the RMYC at rmyc.info or find them on Facebook and Instagram. And to stay up to date with us here at The Walleye, check out thewalleye.ca and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Our eye-to-eye audio interviews can be found at anchor.fm slash the-walleye or on many podcasting platforms, including Spotify. For The Walleye, I'm Matt Prokopchuk. Have a great day.